Charlie Beckett, thank you very much for agreeing to this interview. I thought I'd begin by asking you to explain, if you can, why religion has become increasingly newsworthy. I think religion's become increasingly newsworthy for two main reasons. One is an appetite in the media itself for strong, moral, ethical stories. Religion is about the big questions in life, and I think as people become more educated, more intelligent, and more thoughtful, if you like, uh, about life, what better framework uh, for those big questions than stories about religion? But perhaps the more important reason is that religion has become more of a story in its own right, in terms of a whole range of politics, in terms of uh, both domestic community cohesion and international issues around conflicts. Religion has become part of those real material stories. It's become uh, issues like immigration are intrinsically linked to faith as people of different faiths are moving to other communities. And so there is a real reason, if you like, to think about faith as an aspect of some very uh, real stories that are increasingly impacting on how we live both locally, but increasingly in a globalised world where the big stories like climate change, the big stories like the economy, are about different groups of people around the world and their different approach to issues. And one of the factors in that is religion. Do you think that reporting on religion is biased? Uh, I mean, I had in mind particularly whether you thought that different faiths are treated equally by the press. I think that uh, in the UK, if we're talking about the UK, I think religion has always had a slightly odd relationship with the media. And in a sense, that reflects the relationship of uh, religion, organised religion, and the state more generally. So what an odd thing we have where uh, religion gets a two-and-a-half-minute slot every morning on a prime-time radio news programme, The Thought for Today, on the Radio 4 Today programme. That's a curious anomaly, really, because you don't get a two-and-a-half-minute slot for geographers or economists or educationists, but you do for uh, religious uh, organisations. So there's, and that reflects, in a sense, the established church's uh, role, especially in society in general. You might also think that it's odd to have bishops automatically in, in, in Parliament. Now, that's changed because society has changed and the media has changed. Uh, the media has become much more robust, much less deferential, but also society has changed. So, most obviously, we have more people of different faiths in society now. And again, that means that in itself is a story. And it's the attention, for example, paid to uh, Muslims in Britain is nothing to do with a particular bias. And it's everything to do with Muslims being a really important story because as there's more Muslims in Britain and because they have different outlooks on, on life, inevitably that means you're going to have real stories around uh, the, uh, the Islamic faith in Britain and how it works, or people who happen to be of uh, Muslim, who, uh, Islamic faith. And, of course, that will condition their approach to certain stories. So you did get a very particular phenomenon in the last 10 years, if you like, post-9-11, where the media's approach to Muslims in Britain was 
artificial. And by that I mean initially there was a very deliberate, self-conscious attempt not to overreact, to be more thoughtful and cautious about stories relating to Muslims. Then, uh, in the wake of the 7-7 bombings, there was inevitably even more of an interest in who were these people who claimed to be uh, Muslims, who had committed this atrocity. What did that say about our society? And that spun out a whole series of other stories, many of them badly told, many of them told with spite, uh, with with inaccuracy, but also all part of a very natural, understandable and absolutely essential attention to people of the Islamic faith in Britain. And I think that has now gone through news cycles and now stories about Muslims are much more balanced, much better informed and the Muslim communities themselves have become more media literate. Now that's a process that's ongoing and it's about phases. So when we talk about bias, bias is always conditional on the historical and political circumstances of a particular time. And in a sense, the media is biased about everything in that it always frames things in a certain way, but that framing changes. And it's possible, and that's what's interesting about the idea of this conference, it's possible to impact on the way that uh, the media does frame things. The media is not just a one-way street. I think you've probably just answered this question, but uh, can I put it to you anyway? Um, uh, would you say that the role of religion as a cause of conflict is unduly reported as compared to, say, its role in peace-building? No, I'd say that it's probably that religion gets covered more as uh, a convenient way of talking about conflict. So when we talk about ethnic communities in Britain, we label people as Muslim communities. When we talk about international or Christian or whatever, uh, and when we talk about international issues, we talk about, again, you know, Christian factions or Muslim factions or Shia factions, you know, factions within religions as well, as a way of categorising uh, peoples and explaining situations. Now, I would argue that religion doesn't cause wars, but religion is part of a package of ideology and identity that helps us to understand how wars or conflicts are, how they happen. So, you know, that rather boring argument about whether religion actually creates problems in itself is a sort of cyclical argument and a rather boring one. But yes, it's absolutely right for journalism to, to look at religion as part of the circumstances that create conflict. And by implication, it will look at religion as part of a set of ways of ending conflict and and peace building. However, the caveat I would say is that there's a real limit to the role of news media in peace building. I think it's um, futile to expect mainstream topical news media to have a proactive role in peace building. Where do you draw the line between respect for religious sensibilities and freedom of the press? I don't draw a line. I think one of the things I've learned is that it's impossible to draw a line. The line shifts... The line depends so much on the actual actual circumstances of any given issue. And I think the most pertinent one that I recall in my history as an editor of TV news was the Danish cartoon controversy, where we had to decide, when I was editing Channel 4 News, whether to show the cartoons. And it'd be very easy to take a a so-called principled stance and say, yes, we must show the public everything. And I have total sympathy with that stance of total disclosure 
and providing all the information. On the other hand, there was a perfectly valid argument which said this will be provocative and this will actually create a public harm. Now, in fact, though, of course, the, the decision was, was not that simple. It wasn't an either-or, a yes-no, black and white. In the end, we came to a compromise where we showed a bit of the cartoons, uh, and we were conditioned by a whole number of factors. Some of them were we knew damn well that people could go on the line and look at the, the cartoons on the internet if they wanted to. We had to make a judgment, and uh, my editor at the time, I thought, asked a very good question. Was it worth, he asked, was it worth the risk of causing so much offence to publish those cartoons in the sense that could we still tell the story without having to show reams of these cartoons and endlessly thrust them in people's faces. So it was a balancing act. It was looking at a combination of factors. So the line, if there was one, was rather squiggly and it, and it always changes. So I don't think that you should draw lines and I think one of the, the key problems for journalists in dealing with these, this set of issues is, especially around offence, is that it's very easy to get sucked into an artificial story, which, remember, the Danish cartoons were deliberately published to cause offence, and then the worldwide reaction, which was deliberately stirred up by certain Muslim factions and other factions who saw a political advantage in it. So the whole controversy was artificially... Uh, created Now, what is the role of journalism in that? Is it to report on that, or is it to say, hang on a minute, why should we contribute to building up this artificial argument? And it's very difficult to, 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 to say one way or the other, but I think it just reminds us that there are no absolutes in, in journalism, unlike sometimes in religion. <laughs> Well, you've already mentioned the availability of information on the internet. I wonder if you could say a bit more about how you think advances in technology will impact the coverage of religion and religious stories. Well, the first thing to say is that we're still at a relatively early stage with these technologies. And on the other hand, they've been around for a long while. The internet you know, has been around for 20, 30 years, depending how you count it. Um, and there are always new technologies. When the radio first came along, everyone thought that this would transform the world. When television came along, it was seen as this appalling, two-dimensional, crass medium that would destroy civilization. So we shouldn't be surprised that people think that the Internet will either save the world or, or destroy it. Um, of course, again, it's going to be much more complex as people adapt to it. There are going to be problems. There's no doubt that the internet has, for example, facilitated the extremism of, say, al-Qaeda in a way that conventional technologies uh, would not have done. Um, on the other hand, it also enables people to get information, to get context, uh, and to communicate with each other in benign ways that would have been impossible before. So I think that you have to recognise that Whilst technology is not neutral, it can have both positive and negative impacts. Would you say that the pace at which traditional journalism operates makes it inevitable that journalists will misrepresent religious leaders? I think the issue of, of pace in news is absolutely critical, and you're, you're right to identify this. It's, um, you know, the complexity of new media technologies is the thing we're all excited about, the blogging and um, the social networking and so on. But one of the key changes in, in modern media 
is the pace that it happens. And that is about an interaction between all those new technologies uh, and mainstream media. So you have 24-hour news TV channels, and they are also responding to things happening on the blogosphere. And the two are literally interacting. Journalists working on one are looking at the other. And, of course, that's then interacting with the audience and even happening simultaneously. So people watching TV may also be on a social network site interacting about what they're watching. And that means that the, 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 not just the pace of media, but the complexity of media is much faster. Now, in some ways, that's deeply frightening. It's certainly frightening if you're used to having control. And I think people in power are used to having a lot of control, uh, even over media and, their, and the way they're messaged. Uh, increasingly, though, they are able to interact with media coverage, but they're not able to control it. And I think it definitely has some pernicious effects. It means that there's a kind of rush to judgment. Um, there's a desire to fill up uh, media with constant coverage, constant drama. On the other hand, it does mean that, partly because of the multiplicity of media as well as its pace, it means that when anything happens you do actually have a much wider range of views, perspectives uh, and sources of data. So things are happening quicker, but I think the public is getting better at responding to it. I think people in power are finding it difficult because mm-hmm. they're not able to, to, to manage media in the way they, that they might have done before. Now, whether that means that religious readers are misrepresented, I think depends on the way that they choose to, to, to interact with it. And I think that you're right that, that, that religious leaders, like anybody else really, have to uh, think about how they're going to engage with this much more complex, much more fast-moving media scene. Some of that will be about um, simple, simple things that they should be doing. They should be aware of what is happening online, for example. But it's also about perhaps changing their style, but also their content. It perhaps means you do have to be more transparent and open about the way that you communicate and don't expect to be able to control the message all the time. Well, I think you've already said a lot about this, but um, I wonder if my final question could be really about what you see as a more constructive model for the relationship between journalists and religious leaders. Obviously, religious leaders, as you said, need to be more uh, media savvy, but is there anything else that you'd like to add? There's the one fact, which is, I think, for all leaders that we are now entering an age where, partly because of new media technology, so you can have a conversation with the public, but also for a load of other reasons, about education, about the growing individualism of people's lives, that people are less deferential, in a sense they have more self-respect, and they want it to be treated accordingly. So, if you like, in the religious context, you can't preach to people anymore. You have to have a conversation about faith and about issues around it. And a conversation implies that you've got to listen as well as talk at people. And it implies that you may not always be right, and you may not always be able to control the way that a conversation is going. Um, So I would argue that, first of all, there's got to be greater transparency about the way that religious leaders communicate with the rest of the world. But also there's some practical things that they should be doing. They should be looking at how they can use the whole gamut of new media technologies to have a richer, more complex, diverse conversation. 
And they should be looking also at ways that they can actually support media initiatives, media organisations, not just to set up their own website for their particular faith, but to think about places uh, in, in the internet, if you're in the media sphere, if you like, where they can create spaces or support spaces where you can have a richer conversation. Because the wonderful thing about new media technologies is that in the past we were, in a sense, uh, you were either part of the media or you were a victim or a, a consumer of, of media. The difference now is that we are all part of the media. We are all capable of creating communication information and conversations and data. So no one's got an excuse anymore not to be part of the conversation. Charlie Beckett, thank you very much.